here's really the beginning of the story. So mad, I hit my fist in the in the bed. I'll never forget it. And through gritted teeth, I said, what do you want from me, God? The frustration, the hurt, just the, the anxiety of all of those years came out in that one question. And the Holy Spirit answered me with seven words. It changed my life. And it, it might as well, it wasn't audible, Jeff, but it might as well have been audible. And he said, what to the answer to the question of what do you want from me? He gently, softly said, you, that's all. I just want you. Welcome to the Four Fires Podcast, where we talk about winning in all four of the essential areas of life. Well, welcome to the Four Fires Podcast. This is Jeff Rice. Today we're here with my good friend Rex Davis, and we're going to talk about the Purpose Fire. But before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to the Four Fires Tribe. If you've been following along with the Four Fires Podcast for any amount of time, you've heard about that. So check out the link in the description if you'd like to join in on the tribe. By signing up to join the Four Fires Tribe, you'll receive exclusive content, weekly text with Four Fires encouragements and challenges, and you'll also get invites to online and local in-person gatherings to be in community with other solid men that are striving to live this four-dimensional life. So Rex, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to uh, give you a second to go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll, we'll dive into the purpose fire. So go ahead. Yeah, well, hey, it's good to see you this morning, Jeff. As you said, hey, my name is Rex and it's a privilege to, to be on the podcast this morning with you, Jeff. Looking forward to hanging out with you a little bit. It's just kind of crazy when I even think about introducing myself. I'm a local pastor uh, on a, a church staff in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, spent 22 years active duty Army, got out of the Army, uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel, and then spent 10 years with a large construction firm as a financial analyst. And uh, But I'm a preacher's kid, so I always knew that I would wind up in full-time ministry and uh, wound up on the church staff. So if you count that up, I've been full-time for seven years now. Uh, so if you count all of those years up with the army, with the construction firm, with ministry, I've been around a minute, Jeff. So that <laughs> that's kind of my uh, career path. And tell tell us about some family or favorite hobbies or something like that. Yeah, um, I'm very fortunate to be married to the same lady for 31 years. We just celebrated our 31st anniversary uh, two days ago, actually. Yeah. Her name's Lisa. She's from Columbus, Georgia. And um, I hit the jackpot with her. She, <laughs> if you're familiar with the, the DISC profile, the DISC personality profile, she is a DI. She's a driver. Uh, but she's a party looking for a place to happen. Uh, <laughs> people love to hang around Lisa D and I'm under no illusion, man. People hang out with me just because Lisa's there. Uh, <laughs> so she, <laughs> she is just spontaneous. She's fun. She always plans our vacations. Uh, we're going on vacation next week and she's got it planned out A to Z, uh, dawn to dark. And so yeah. she's just, she's an incredible leader, incredible planner. And then I have, we have a 16 year old daughter, Eva, and uh, she's kind of like her mom. She's very creative, very spontaneous, just has an incredible uh, personality. She's kind, compassionate, uh, 16 years old. And uh, so we're entering our junior year and she's a blast. Well, great. Thanks so much, Rex. Um, so today, like I said, we're going to talk about the purpose fire and Rex, I admire you. I, I feel like you are pretty four dimensional as far as all the men that I've, that I see in my life. So you're, you're a guy that I look to as a pretty four dimensional guy. And, and I think you do a great job in all the areas, but like you said, you're a pastor and I think you have a lot of wisdom around the purpose fire. And so before we actually do the deep dive into the, the questions that we have, I wanted you to go through and share as much as you'd like, as much as you're comfortable with about your story and your testimony. So I'll, with that being said, I'll let you take it away. Well, you don't know this, but you're actually helping me. I had a, a friend of mine from Cincinnati that's asked me to come uh, do a service for him in July. Cool. And he said, I specifically want you to share your testimony, your background. 
And uh, so I'm so used to telling the story, Jeff, that I just kind of, you know, tell it very casually. Yeah. And a lot of times it's over coffee. You know, you've heard it before, you know, just hanging out. Um, but as I thought about it, actually, as I was driving in this morning, I thought, well, man, you need to kind of frame this up and, and help people kind of understand there were uh, segments of this journey, so to speak. So I'm going to divide my story uh, into four quick segments. And the first one was trauma. Uh, my life started off, it, it, was a, it, it was terrible. It was a train wreck. And uh, God had a purpose and a plan for my life. That's kind of what we're talking about today is yeah. the, the purpose fire. And, uh, but it started off, oh my goodness, it started off rough. And I was born in Memphis, Tennessee to a single mom. I don't know my biological dad. I hated him with a passion because he rejected my mother. He left her. And uh, she had a hard time uh, making a living, uh, just providing for us. And so um, I have very few memories of her, but she did the best she could. She was incredible. Uh, I just loved her because it was me and mom. That was it. Mm -hmm. And at uh, five years old, she had such a tough time that she moved back in with her parents. And uh, before that, let me say this, we moved around, uh, lived in two different trailer parks in Memphis. Uh, we lived in an apartment and uh, that tells you uh, how hard it was for her because she just had trouble paying the rent. I've mm -hmm. kind of figured that out in hindsight, but we actually lived across the street at one point from Graceland uh, in Memphis. My wow. next door neighbor was Elvis Presley, kid you not. Wow. This is in the early 60s. The challenge with that, Jeff, is it was different on the Graceland side of the street than it was on my side of the street. Right. We're yeah. living in a trailer park. And so anyway, at five, here's where the story really gets rough and it's the trauma. Moved in with my grandparents at five. And so I lived with uh, three adults and all three of those adults died over the course of the next two years. Uh, mm -hmm. The first year in the home, uh, my grandmother was killed in a head-on car wreck. The next year, my grandfather uh, died of a heart attack in the home. And then the third year, uh, at the end of the second year, my mother died of cancer. So the three mm -hmm. people that I knew, my intimate relationships just shattered, gone in wow. a two-year period. And it's a seven-year-old boy left all alone. Well, hey, yeah. that's as bad as it gets. Let me tell your listeners, uh, hey, that's as bad as it gets. <laughs> and God has a redemptive purpose for our life. And as mm -hmm. I look back over the course of all these years, I'm amazed uh, at the journey that he's taken me on. And so, you know, started off, that was phase one trauma. Well, phase two is recovery. When you go through a trauma, when you go through addiction, when you go through any type of abuse, a wound, as we all know, you're going to go through a recovery phase. Well, that recovery phase for me was definitely God sent. Uh, my grandmother's baby sister was not much older than my mother. And so my great aunt and her husband adopted me, took me to a small town in Arkansas. So grateful for the upbringing I had there. But they gave me everything that I never had. They gave me yep. a safe place to live. They gave me consistency, stability, security, love in a way I've never experienced. They gave me discipline, scared to death of my dad at first. I've never been around a, a dad, didn't have yeah. a father figure. And there's a huge lesson in that. Uh, yeah. He just uh, was a tremendous role model for me. And it might as well have been lived. I say I lived with Moses and Miriam. Uh, for the next few years of my life. Yeah. They were incredible. That's and awesome. uh, so anyway, they nursed me back to health. That's the recovery phase. Um, you know, played organized sports. I was an Eagle Scout. I began to learn to achieve and accomplish things, uh, but I was still very withdrawn. I was very shy. I didn't say a whole lot. I was just afraid. You know, hey, are you going to be here tomorrow? Are you going to be here next week? Uh, because mm -hmm. that was my previous experience. Hey, yeah. can I count on you to be here? And so it was just a, a recovery, a healing phase, and it, it was incredible. Then I went off to uh, college and uh, went to a secular college. It was an incredible institution. I learned a lot, made a lot of great friends, joined a fraternity, uh, really had a good time with, with the guys that I met, continued to play sports, got active in college leadership. I was the student body president. I was the president of the largest fraternity on campus. Uh, but here's where we get in. I'm calling this phase 
three, we kind of get into the test phase, the trial phase, uh, maybe even the failure phase and, mm. and the falling away phase because I had accepted Christ uh, at eight years old with my new parents. Uh, they took me to church every week, uh, taught me the gospel, uh, accepted Jesus, just raised in this beautiful Christian home. Mm. But then I got off to a secular university and I was doing all the right things. Again, leadership sports. I was the university mascot, uh, just incredible, great friends, great professors, but there was a challenge and a test. And it's the fact that culture does things a little bit different. There were a lot of parties at a secular university and uh, a lot of things going on that I had never seen before. And uh, those things are kind of preschool compared to what our young people are faced with today. But nonetheless, back then, I kind of looked at it and I thought, hey, that looks like a lot of fun. And um, so I started hanging out with the party crowd and um, I'm just going to call it what it is. Started uh, drinking a little bit more than I should have. Uh, started uh, hanging out with the ladies and, and just doing things that, that I knew. It's not who I was and right. it's not the way I had been raised. And uh, here's a key. Started not going to church. Hmm. Was not plugged into a local church just kind of was hanging out, doing my thing. And I was doing what the culture around me did. There's a huge lesson in this, Jeff. And I'll say two things. The two lies that I bought into in that period of my life were number one, everybody's doing it. They were just about everybody was doing it, what I was doing. But the problem is, I don't think that's the way God intended for us <laughs> to live our life at that right. point. But yep. it was true, man, everybody was doing it. And number two, it's not going to hurt anybody. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't hurting anybody. It was just good, clean, fun. Going to some parties on Friday nights and Friday night parties turned into Monday night, and Tuesday night and Wednesday. You, you get my drift. You know, yeah, it, yeah. We, we were we were moral. We were ethical, but we were doing things that I knew just was not who God created me to be. So there was a falling away got away from the local church. And uh, that's the way I lived my life for the next 10 years. Joined the army right out of college. I loved the army. I loved the camaraderie, the discipline, um, just everything about it, the teamwork, uh, the leadership philosophy. But then about halfway through my army career, I had a parachute not open one night. And most people that know me, that's my story because this is where we really have a great twist to the story and it's a resurrection. This is what I call the resurrection phase. It jumped out of an army aircraft one night on what's called a mass tactical jump. We were jumping both doors, got entangled with another jumper. We separated about 200 feet off the ground and I did what's called a burn in, just burned straight in without a parachute the last 150 or so feet and it should have killed me. Uh, broke my back, uh, split my pelvic girdle completely apart, broke my mm -hmm. hip in two places, spent 40 days in an army hospital. All you could do was lay in the bed. It, it was the most painful experience I've ever been through in my life. But I met Jesus and had a true experience with the Holy Spirit in that hospital room. Uh, two days in, there was a 19 year old that had died the year before. He came out of the aircraft never had a chance and was dead on impact. And I was mm -hmm. so mad at God, Jeff. Um, I was 35 when this happened and I was so frustrated at my life that I knew that I was not connected to a local church. I was not serving God the way I should be. So I was frustrated. And the truth is I wasn't frustrated at God. I was frustrated with myself yeah. uh, and, and the fact that I just wasn't doing the things that I knew uh, God was asking me to do. So anyway, here, here's the end of the story. No, no, no. Here's really the beginning of the story. So mad, I hit my fist in the, in the bed. I'll never forget it. And through gritted teeth, I said, what do you want from me, God? The frustration, the hurt, just the, the anxiety of all of those years came out in that one question. And the Holy Spirit answered me with seven words. It changed my life. And it, it might as well, it wasn't audible, Jeff, but it might as well have been audible. And he said, what to the answer to the question of what do you want from me? He gently, softly said, you, that's all. I just want you. 
Dang. And in that moment, I knew that I had heard from a God that loves me, who's for me. Um, I had tried to be my dad. My dad was so incredible. I thought I had to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. I yep. thought I had to live up to dad's example. I thought I had to be the perfect pastor's kid. I thought I had to say the right things the right way, do the right things the right way. It was so legalistic. It was so religious. And in that moment, when I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, all of that just faded away. And I was like, wow, how did I miss it? God loves me. He's for me. He wants a relationship with me. And that's it. And uh, it changed it radically changed my life. I experienced a true resurrection. And the point with that, Jeff, is I think sometimes we think we have to die uh, physically to experience yeah. a resurrection. Oh, no, my friend, uh, we can have a resurrection right now in this life uh, with a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus. Yeah. So those are the four the four phases. That's Thanks awesome. for letting me tell that story. That kind of helps get me ready yeah. for uh, talking to a church congregation about that. Yeah, that's great. You did a great job. That, I like the I like the four areas. So with all of that, one of the main questions that I want to get into today. So we, we know that the purpose fire is about our connectedness with God, our connectedness with our creator and then our earthly commitments to him. So when thinking about the purpose fire and our relationship with God, what is your advice for a person? So you you, you shared how you went, you had the experience where you were angry and you were frustrated and you were like, what do you want from me, God? What, what is your advice for a person who's hesitant to go all in with God? I, that's a great question. I want to be very deliberate in the answer. And I think the, the first piece of it, Jeff, is we have to realize that God created us. In, in order for us to really go all in with him, we have mm -hmm. to accept the premise. God made me. He yeah. knows me. The Bible says he knew me from the foundation of the world. And if I believe that, well, God made me with a purpose and he uh, intended for me to make a difference in the people around me. Uh, our church is real big. We say we, we, we make it real easy Four things. We want people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. Well, some people that they've never done any of those four uh, but here's something my dad uh, helped me with, and I think it, it's very instructive. When I first um, went to live with my dad, again, that, that happened at seven years old, and I just listened to him for the first, really, for the first year. He didn't say a lot. I didn't say a lot. My dad was a man of very few words, and, and so I would just listen to him. But I remember one of the very first things he told me, we were sitting in the den, and he said, son, I really want to learn to communicate with you, but you're going to have to understand this. I believe the Bible. It is the inerrant word of God. It's inerrant. It has no fallacies. It is absolute truth. And I believe it and I live my life by it. And he said, this is so good. He said, yeah. now you don't have to. He said, you don't have to believe the way I believe. But I want you to know it's the foundation of everything that I talk about and I do. And he said, if you do not accept it as the foundation of every conversation, you and I are going to have a difficult time communicating. Now, I didn't realize, Jeff, I had I was eight years old. I think when yeah. he said that I had yeah. no idea how profound that was. But as I interacted with him over the next, you know, 50 years of my life, I realized, hey, dad talks out of his foundational beliefs in the truth of God's word. And one of those truths is, hey, we're created by God. Um, we're his handiwork. I say this prayer literally every morning and I got it from my dad. Hey, God, thank you for this day. There's never been one like it. There's never going to be another one like it. And mm. I thank you for every person I'm going to come into contact with today because there's never been one like them. There never be another one like them. Hey, Jeff, there's never been a person like Jeff Rice. There's never been one. There's never going to be another one. You are uniquely cre created by God. And so am I and every person that we come into contact with today. So I think that's the foundation of the question is to yeah. realize, hey, God created me. He's the guy that wrote the owner's manual. And if I will just trust him, 
allow myself to trust him and go all in, get around some mentors, some godly men that don't have a perfect life. I don't have a perfect life, but I can help you take next steps to where you can make that decision. Hey, you know what? My way hasn't been working out real great. And let me try it God's way. And that's what happened with me. I was frustrated because once I walked away from the local church and serving God and walking with God on a daily basis, when I walked away from that, I wasn't really frustrated at him. I was yeah. frustrated at myself. And when I came back to him through that experience, it was easy to go all in because my way had not been working. And mm -hmm. uh, I was ready, man. I was ready to go all in. Yeah. And uh, what, what something you made me think of was that the, the lie from the enemy is that you're not unique and you can't make a difference. You, why, why do you need to go, you know, go all in with God? You're, you're not going to change anybody's life. Look at all the stuff that you've done wrong. And that's the lie from the enemy. But what you were just speaking was absolute, you know, words of life and what God's word says. Absolutely, man. It, it, it's, I, it's one of the reasons I love people, Jeff, because if we really take the time to listen to people, to get to know their story, People are absolutely amazing. Now we mm -hmm. can also be incredibly uh, not, not amazing, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> at times, but in our best moments, we're created by God. People come with tremendous capabilities, uh, talents, uh, ju just the way they think creatively. People are amazing. And, and yeah. when we look at them, and I try to remind myself, matter of fact, I heard this in a, a speech a former governor of Tennessee gave uh, last year at a prayer breakfast. And he said one of the things that helps him in his exchange with people every day is as he's talking to them mentally, he goes created in the image of God, created mm -hmm. in the image of God. And if we think that when we're talking to our spouse, our children, our best friends, our coworkers, people at church, even somebody that we're currently having a disagreement with, if we will look at them in the moment and remind ourselves created in the image of God, I guarantee you the disagreement and the conversation, the tension is even going to be a lot better just because we recognize, hey, we're both created yep. by God. We're uniquely yep. designed and let's treat each other with the respect that, that we both deserve because of yep. who we are. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, so I, I heard, I had a meeting with a guy a few days ago, and he said that he got some advice from another guy who said that the two biggest things that keep people from reaching their goals, and this is a little bit, it's not exactly talking about the the purpose fireman and the relationship with God, but he said that the two things that keep people from reaching their goals is fear of the unknown and lack of personal discipline. And when he said it, it made me think about I wonder if it's the fear of the unknown and the faith part that keeps people. Cause one of my next question was what keeps people from taking that next step in their faith and trying to be in, have a personal relationship with Jesus. What is it that keeps people from that? And do you think it has anything to do with the fear of the unknown? And it's like, you can't see it or feel it or, and so people are like, well, I, I don't know. It's not there. I, I don't trust it. Do you think that has something to do with that? Yeah, it's, it's possible, Jeff. I mean, that's the thing about humans. We come up with all kinds of, of reasons not to do things. Yeah. Uh, and I think it can be fear of the unknown. I think fear of failure goes in with that. Uh, you know, well, what if I don't succeed? What if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the reasons that we uh, struggle in our prayer life sometimes uh, because we expect immediate results. Well, mm -hmm. you know, it's not always an immediate answer. And we have to be okay with that. That's why he's God and we're not. But mm -hmm. I think we, we kind of, you're, you're right. We, we tend to process things with our five senses, especially mm -hmm. the way that we see things with our physical eyes. Yeah. Well, the spirit realm does not work that way. We have to learn to see with our heart, uh, learn to see with our spirit. And that's where part of the trust comes in. I have to realize God made me. He knows me. He knows how this works fully, and I don't. 
I don't know how it works fully. There's still things that you and I are trying to figure out. And yep. so I do have to trust him and I have, have to overcome uh, the fear of the unknown. And again, I think fear of failure, you know, what if it doesn't work for me? I can't tell you the countless uh, military guys that have told me, hey, Rex, that's good for you, but that doesn't work for me. What? Are you telling me God made you different than he yeah. made me? And yeah. what they're talking about is their past sin. They don't think they can be forgiven because they think their sin is so great that God just can't forgive them. And I'm like, well, you're looking at it through your own human eyes and, and you, you're trying to uh, equate your capacity to forgive yourself with who God is. That's mm -hmm. the wrong way to look at that. God is fully capable of forgiving you. Your problem is you can't forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. And so there's that. We just see things the wrong way. Um, and here's the other one I would say, Jeff, is uh, fear of measuring up, especially when it comes to a faith walk. Because like in my case, my dad had, he was such a great model for me. And that's the model I returned to eventually. But there was a period during my, what I call backsliding years, that the model was so good, I was intimidated by it, which is mm -hmm. a lie of the enemy. Yeah, I was intimidated yeah. by it. And the devil told me, just like, you know, some of my military friends, God can't forgive me. Well, it's the same kind of thinking. I'm looking at my dad with my physical eyes and I'm like, I can't measure up. I can't pray like him. Mm -hmm. I can't be like him. I can't study the Bible. He could remember scripture, Jeff. Oh, my goodness. Thank God for Google and uh, you version <laughs> Bible. Yeah, my sure. dad, you could say a verse of the Bible and my dad would pick and I would pick my Bible up just to follow along. He could roll for 50, 60 verses out of wow. the passage that you just randomly picked. That's how much he studied the Bible. That's well, you know, the devil's going to use that against me. The devil yeah. just got right up on my shoulder and said, hey, that's what a pastor is. You can't do that. You can't recite scripture like that. You will never measure up. You will never be as good. And that is a trick and a lie of the enemy. And I think we buy in to all of that in our faith walk because we're looking at it through these physical eyes and measuring and comparing ourselves against other people in their faith walk. I always say it like this. My senior pastor is incredible. And uh, when I listen to the way he prays, sometimes I just shake my head and go, man, I know I'm going to hell. <laughs> That's a joke. A yeah, joke. for sure. But, but people always laugh at it because I'm yeah. like, I can't compare myself to him. I couldn't compare myself to dad. Um, dad yeah. would start his prayers off with father, the God of uh, Abraham, Jacob and Isaac. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, he would start bringing out all the scriptural references. It, it was very formal, eloquent. Yeah. It was beautiful. And yeah. I'm like, I can't pray like that. Well, guess what? God didn't make me to pray like that, but he made me to pray his word. And mm -hmm. I found power in praying the word of God. I use God's words because yep. I'm not eloquent. I'm not well-spoken, but I can pray God's word. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, replace you and I both have talked about this before. What we do is replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's words. That's a long answer to a short question. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, it makes me think about how I, I've talked with other people and came to the conclusion of, yes, you have to replace, like you said, replace the lies of the enemy, but you can't just like, I rebuke that and then leave this void. You have to fill it with God's word and try to fill it with the Holy Spirit, because if not, he's just going to come right back and and dive right back into that space with you so so one of the next questions if a person has resentment towards god in the church and just feels like they struggle to see the purpose like i don't feel like i really need all this what can that person do and what i would argue is that person has never experienced the presence of god to to say i don't this is all like i don't need all this this is just fluff or whatever what can that person do to experience the presence of God tactically. And the other part of the question is, is that experience, is that experience just for a random few or, and is it just by chance or are there things that we can do to seek God and seek the presence of God? So talk, walk me through that. Oh, wow, man. That's a great question too. Uh, let, let me answer the, the last question first. Okay. Uh, no, 
it, it's not an experience just for a select few. It is for everyone. It's for all of us. And it goes back to we're all created by God. We're designed by God. He designed us to experience a relationship with him. We're part of his family and he wants us reconciled to him. So that's his greatest desire. God is a good dad. And so that's the answer to the first question. It's for everyone. Uh, now back to the first question that, that that's a, a really good one because let's face it, Jeff, um, there are a lot of people in our culture, uh, in today's society that have been hurt and wounded by their church mm -hmm. experience. Yep. And, um, here's, here's the bottom line that I would say to that. Um, don't, don't let that experience taint your view of who God is because we're imperfect people. We live in a fallen world. We're doing the very best we can to express our worship, our praise, our devotion to God. But in church, sometimes we just fail. And, and I'm going to call it what it is. We're, those of us that attend church, we're very well aware of this. When, when I grew up in church in the 60s and 70s, well, not the 60s, in the 70s, when I went to live with my adopted parents, um, church was very formal. It was very rigid and it mm -hmm. was mean in a, in a yep. way. And, yep. and we called it turn and burn because yep. most of the messages, you know, and Hey, my dad was one of those guys. My dad was a fight, hellfire brimstone preacher. He was incredible. He, he, yeah, he never, he never, my, I, I never heard my dad swear. I never heard my dad, uh, raise his voice at my mother. He never raised his voice at me. My dad was very steady. He was consistent. And it's the reason I accepted the gospel because of my dad's example. But I will say when it came to Sunday morning, brother, my dad was preaching turn or burn. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to dishonor my dad in any way. He was a great pastor and he was a great communicator. He was mm -hmm. a great preacher. But back in that time, I think we were so focused on keeping people out of hell that we failed to focus on the here and now. And hey, your relationship with God can be uh, life-giving. It can be vibrant. It can mm -hmm. be real. Let me say it this way. We were selling fire insurance. We, we didn't know any better. We yeah. were selling fire insurance policies in the 70s and 80s. But through the charismatic movement and in some different transitions, we begin to realize, just like I said, resurrection is not just for when you die. You can have mm -hmm. a resurrected life right now. Well, yeah. we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to be in the presence of Jesus and God the Father. That's going to be incredible. It's going to be on a level we've never experienced. It's going to be total perfection. But I can have a relationship with Jesus and the Heavenly Father and His Holy Spirit right now on this earth because I'm a spirit being and they designed me that way. And um, so that that's kind of a, uh, th does that help? We're, yeah, yeah. I, I think people look at the church and they have a bad experience and we have a wound and then we judge God based on that experience. Let, yeah. Let's not do that. Let's give God a chance. And um, in, in the privacy of your own home, you ask for some specific ways. The minute my, I don't even really get out of the bed, Jeff, before I grab my Bible. I keep mm. my Bible open on my bedstand, and I love to read a devotional by Oswald Chambers, who was an English theologian in the early 1900s. I read his daily devotionals, but I keep them right by my bedside because when I wake up in the morning, I want it to be the first thing I see. And I grab that and I read the one year Bible. I read the daily devotion from Oswald Chambers and I just sit for a few minutes and just think through what I read, what God's trying to teach me before I uh, jump up into the hustle and the bustle of the, of the world that we all live in now. There are ways that we can connect with God outside of church. But here's what I'm also going to say. We've got to connect with a local church body um, mm. that is preaching the gospel, that is uh, reaching outside the four walls of the church. We need to be active in a local church body. And here's the thing. If we will engage in that, we're going to encounter the presence of God 
automatically. It's impossible. Yeah. So if somebody preached a hellfire and, and turn and burn message, and it was a little bit too in your face, again, like it was in the 70s and 80s, don't let that be your impression of God. That, that you know, there's cars, for instance. Um, everybody likes different cars. Where you have a bad experience in a car, it doesn't mean you quit driving it. I just got a bad haircut yesterday. Doesn't mean yeah. I'm not going back to a barber. Um, yeah, that's super good. So I want to back up to what you said about don't let one thing, one experience taint your whole mindset or your whole view on any given thing. Uh, last podcast, Alan and Greg Moffitt, one of the advisors for Lee, they were talking about mindset and what, what kind of mindset you have to have in order to get better in any area of life. And ultimately the answer was you have to have a growth mindset. And they talked a lot about in any area of life, there's kind of a, a spectrum where you could either be super life-giving or you could be super bitter and negative about anything or anybody that has more success than you and you allow and that i feel like what that person has done is maybe they have so if the example was if somebody was like oh anyone who has wealth anyone who has a lot of money they're sinful and they're greedy and they try too hard for money and they're just greedy evil people they might have had one person who was an evil greedy person in their life that they have allowed that one person to taint their whole experience and their whole mindset towards that topic. And so I like what you said there, because I think that's super true. I know many stories of someone who was really badly hurt by the church. And so now they're living the rest of their life thinking that all Christians, all people that love God and go to church are evil people that are just like you said there to smack you across the face with the bible and tell you you're going to hell if you don't change and then that took me into we talk a lot of, or i've heard a lot at church about truth without grace is mean grace without truth is meaningless and jesus yeah. was the perfect example of having grace and truth the lady who was caught in adultery he says i do not condemn you but go and sin no more so he gave her grace i don't condemn you but you don't sin anymore. Go and sin no more. And that's the truth. You can't yeah. keep living this way. So I, I like what your answer to the question was like the tactical thing of you have to. You wake up every morning and you choose. The first thing you do is to read your devotional by Oswald, Oswald Chambers, as you said, yes. I have to, have to yeah. check him out. So you have to you have to do those things. You have to. This is where I think the line gets blurry for people sometimes with the religious things and then the relationship part because i was i was kind of raised maybe unintentionally a little bit of like you have to read your bible and you have to do all these things just because and there and i've now as i am starting to do these things like read my bible and pray and worship intentionally i'm starting to see i'm not just doing this stuff because i'm a I, i'm a christian and i'm a believer and that's is what we're just supposed to do I am seeing the benefit of it all, like the the spirit of it all. It's not just the task that's going to get you to live the life that God has called us to live or get you to heaven. It's the it's your heart. It's not the act of my eyes reading the words on the page that's going to get me into heaven. It's my heart seeking and desiring those words that are on the page. That's great, man. And you know, we're we're kind of feeding off each other here. Two things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can remember that. That's so good what you just said about, you know, hey, it, it's not about checking the block and doing the routine. Um, I used to look at how much dad read the Bible and, and it shocked me. Um, and he had put himself in a position financially when he was a pastor. Um, you know, he was multi vocational in, in his early days. But once he went into full time ministry, he had positioned himself financially to where he could devote himself fully to the ministry and you know it was a country church it didn't pay a lot well it, he he had set himself up but all that to say he yeah. my dad studied the bible sometimes six hours a day and it blew yeah. my mind i'm like why does he i loved him but i'm like why does he spend that much time in that book i'm like man let's go hunt let's go fish <laughs> let's throw yeah. a baseball and we did all that but as soon as we did that i was watching tv Man, he's back reading his Bible 
And now I just like him. You, you can see all the tabs that I have and, yeah. and, and I'm looking for truth. It's an owner's manual. I, yeah. I'm trying to find out how to live my life mm -hmm. and how to uh, relate to people, how to love people properly. But here's a real example, as you were talking um, in this concept of not looking um, at, at the one wound or the one negative thing. And we tend to do that as a society. Don't, I know there are things that maybe someone said that weren't quite right or they were hurtful, but let's always find the positive. And I'm going to use my high school football coach as an example. Um, as far as I know, he accepted Christ and uh, he died uh, a Christian and is in heaven. I pray that he's in heaven. But as a football coach, he's one of the meanest men I ever saw in my life. Uh, his, I'm, I'm not going to say his name. I'm, I'm going to change his name uh, just to make sure I don't dishonor him in any way. Yeah. But his, the first, his nickname was Cussing. I'm going to say Cussing Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson is not his name, but okay. Cussing was part of his name. And he was, he was brutal. And uh, they hired him specifically to build champions because mm. our high school had started losing. We forgot how to win. And so they went and brought him in from another part of the state. And um, he ran a bunch of us off the first year. And I quit. I quit real cool. Now I caught, went out, caught a pass and uh, flipped it to the receiver coach real, you know, nonchalantly. I said, hey, coach, go into the house. It was hot. Coach Johnson did not give us a water break. I'm like, this dude is crazy. We've been practicing in August for two hours. And um, anyway, he ran me off and a bunch of others. It's the worst taste I've ever had in my mouth, Jeff. I, I hate to quit anything. Yeah. And, and you can take this into your spiritual walk. I'm not going to quit because I, I had a taste of that in that football experience. Well, I couldn't wait until off season came because I'm like, I'm going to show that guy I can play for him. I can play for a winner. I am a winner and I'm coming back and I'm making that team. Well, I showed up for uh, the, the first off season practice and I'll never forget it. That was 40 years ago. And he said, and we were running drills and there was a three man drill. And he said, wow, look at that. He said, a reject, a retard and a basketball player. Well, the reject that he pointed to was me. And he was yeah. saying, you're a reject. You, you quit and you're back. Well, that cut me to the bone because it yeah. went back all the way to the fact that I don't know my biological father. He mm. doesn't know how bad that wounded me when he said, hey, look at that, a reject, a retard, and a basketball. Words will cut you. But mm. I'm going to tell you what, I love Joe Johnson. And again, yeah. that's not his real name. Yeah. But he taught me. I made the team that year, had my junior, mm. senior year, never quit. We won championships. And uh, I give a lot of my credit to my Army career uh, to Joe Johnson because Joe Johnson taught me how to be tough, to never quit, to endure, to yeah. keep getting up. And there's a spiritual lesson in that. It's not always going to feel good. It's yeah. not always going to work out perfect. But get up off the ground and let's engage this again and uh, let's, let's win. Let's win together. And that's physically, it applies to football, it applies to the Army, it certainly applies to our relationship with Jesus. Let's yep. win together. Now you yep. got a preacher preaching. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's what I was trying to get out of you. <laughs> yeah, so three. that makes me think about the three things that, that we talk about with the four fires, and it's awareness, ownership, and discipline is the three things that are required to live this four-dimensional life. And what you were just hitting on, I think, is more of the discipline part. Something that I've heard from Chris Hodges at Church of the Highlands is choices lead, feelings follow. And so that makes yeah. me think about if you think that your relationship with God is all sunshine and rainbows and you just wake up and you just like have this amazing day and this amazing experience with God, like that's what we're chasing, I guess. But and we wish that it was like that every day. But there's some days you just don't feel like doing it. And so it's like there's some days you don't feel like going to the gym, but you do it because you fundamentally believe that that's what you need to do to live this life that you're trying to live. And so the discipline part of the purpose fire, I think, is super big. And like we said, it's not a religious thing to where you're you have to do these. I mean, yes, we are called to do these things, but you reading your Bible is not going to like I had my youth pastor. He used to tell us 
going to church makes you a Christian about as much as going to Waffle House makes you a waffle. And right. that's how I feel about, and that's how I think it is with discipline and the things that God has called us to do and our commitments to him. But there are going to be times where you just have to make yourself do it because you fundamentally believe that that is the course of action that you need to take to have that experience with God every single day. Absolutely. It, it is a disciplined lifestyle. Um, and again, my dad was the model for me in that. He, he was disciplined in his finances. He was disciplined in his diet. He was disciplined in his physical exercise. He was disciplined in his mouth. Uh, he was very gracious, never harsh. He was disciplined in the way he interacted with other people. And he was certainly disciplined in his spiritual walk. Uh, yeah. He read his Bible. He prayed, prayed for people. But again, it wasn't a routine. It, it was a desire. And I think that's really where we transition from. We don't want it to be simply a duty or an obligation. We want to move from that to, hey, it is my heart's desire to know my father. Again, God created me. I want to know him. And so when I read my Bible, one of the main things I'm doing is not just to read the Bible. I want to know who God is as my father. I want to know his character. I want to know his nature. I want yeah. to know the way he thinks. I want to know the way he responds. And when I know the way that God responds, it helps me respond to people, especially yeah. in those tense moments that we talked about, uh, that we're having a disagreement. We may not see eye to eye. Well, yeah. God never looks at a person that disagrees with him and says, hey, well, you sorry sack of humanity. He doesn't say that. He's no. like, hey, son, come over here and let's talk about this. Let's talk about and it. And my dad did that. And so yeah. anyway. Anyway, yeah. that's a good conversation, bro. Well, my, my final question, we're kind of running out of time here. My final question that I wanted to ask you is, what's the greatest godly advice that you've ever received? Man, that's a uh, that's another great question, Jeff. And, and my dad, again, I've, I've talked about my dad a lot, and there's a lesson in that. My dad was, was a role model in every sense of the word. And it's easy for me when that day came that I had an experience with the Holy Spirit in that hospital room after the parachute accident. It was easy for me to focus on who God is as a good father because the example that I had in my earthly father. Uh, but here's the advice. Here's the advice my dad gave me. And I'm going to give you a scripture and we're closed with this. Um, after about a year of living with my dad, we were sitting at the dinner table one night. And this is so powerful. Um, he said, son, he said, um, the men in the town, they're going to start asking you what you want to be when you grow up. They're, they're just going to say, Hey son, what, what are you thinking about being one day? And here's what was my dad's guidance. He said, uh, you can tell them you want to be a doctor, lawyer, banker, farmer. You can tell them, uh, you, you want to be a ditch digger if that's what you'd like to do. But here's the way that I recommend that you answer that question. Tell them you want to be a man. Mm. My dad said that to me at eight years old. Now I knew it was, um, I knew it was deep. I knew it was prophetic, but I had no, I, I didn't have proper context at eight. I just knew it was special and I still have it written in my Bible. I have it written in several places. I hope to publish a book very soon, uh, that has, that kind of leads off of that. But here's the thing. My dad said, tell him you want to be a man. But then my dad proceeded to show me what it is to be a man for the rest of his life. He lived up until he was 91 years old. We had a great relationship. I was with him the whole uh, last week of his life. I never left his bedside. And um, it was just a wonderful, precious time. But about two years before he died, he said, uh, son, I really like this scripture. And uh, we talked about it. And here's the scripture. It's out of second Kings. I'm sorry. First Kings chapter two, verse one. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave charge, a charge to Solomon, his son. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He said, this is David again speaking. And so here's what he says to Solomon. So be strong, show yourself a man and observe what the Lord, your God requires. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees and his commands. His laws and his requirements is written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. My dad, I remember him sitting on the couch and he read that verse out loud and he said, man, 
He said, I really like that passage. And he yeah. said, I've tried to live my life that way, son. And I said, dad, you did really good. And guess what? I found, I had to search, but I found a guy in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we put that verse, that entire passage I just read, we put that on my, my, my dad's uh, grave marker. Tombstone, and yeah. uh, I, when I go back, I go and I visit the grave yeah. marker. But my yeah. dad lived his life that way. Hey, follow God's ways, everything he said, so that you may prosper, not just financially, but in everything you do, prosper in your relationships, prosper in your uh, business, prosper with your family, prosper with the people around you. And yes, prosper in your relationship with God and the purpose he created you for. Man, that's good. I almost got emotional there for a second. I was over here trying to keep it under control. That's that's good stuff, man. I, and clearly your dad had an amazing impact on you. And that's what our mission is, I think, with the four fires is to create or to not create men, but to, to give this framework for men to live into so that there can be more dads and sons that have an experience like you and your dad had there. And that's, that's my goal. I want to be that dad for my uh, sons and daughters that they're, they're able to, like, I would be honored if one day my kids say that the greatest godly advice that they ever received came from me, like you just said, it came from your dad like that. That is part of the many goals I think that I have for my life. So that's, that's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Well, you're way, you're well on your way, Jeff. I've told you this before. I'm going to brag on you for a second. Uh, you and I have known each other for quite some time now. And uh, if I tell me how old you are again, Jeff, I forget. Um, I'll be 24 in July. I was going to say 25, but you're 24 leading a podcast, leading your family well, uh, part of an incredible coaching team uh, with what you guys do. And uh, man, if I would have been thinking like you were at 25, no telling or 24, no telling where I'd be. So uh, appreciate what you and Alan and your team are doing, Jeff. God yeah. bless you guys. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to, to talk with me because I take I I try to be a sponge, man. I, I want to take as much wisdom and knowledge from guys that have a lot more experience than me as I can. So um, thank you, Rex. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you guys have any questions or comments on any other topics you'd like to hear discussed on the Four Fires podcast, send us an email to the email address in the description and let us know what you'd like to hear discussed on the next Four Fires podcast. So go live intentionally, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Four Fires Podcast.